The following is a sermon from Living Hope Bible Church in Port Rowan, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit livinghopebiblechurch.ca. Welcome to the Living Hope Bible Church podcast. We are diving into the book of James. We're very excited to look at this very practical book of how are we as Christians supposed to live. You know, the world doesn't need any more pseudo-religious, judgmental, um, prideful, arrogant, hypocritical Christians. The world needs Christians that reflect the cross. So let's listen in. Thank you, worship team. So good to worship the Lord together, amen. I'll ask again. Because that, I'm, I love you, but that was horrible. It's so good to worship the Lord together, amen. Amen. He's worthy of all our praise. And it's so good to be here. It's so good to see you. Uh, if you're visiting this morning here, my name, is, uh, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Living Hope Bible Church. Maybe you're tuning in online right now. And uh, we're so glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning and now receive God's word. And so, um, but if you are visiting, I'd just love to connect with you afterwards. Please come and, uh, and uh, introduce yourself to me and I'd love to, uh, I'd love to meet you. So thank you so much uh, for being here today though. Well, 1996, I was 14 years old, and God changed my, um, really worked in, in, a, in a powerful way in my heart and really changed me. Um, when I was younger, I was six years old, I made a profession of faith, and I uh, truly wanted to live for the Lord and honor Him, and I was baptized uh, at 12 years old. My dad baptized me, and my desire was to live for the Lord and live for His glory. And, uh, and what I knew as a 12-year-old of who God was. Um, but there were some things in my life, as you go through adolescence into teens, there were some things in my life that were not really um, matching up with what I was saying. And so uh, God used my youth pastor, Bill Geisel, uh, in a message he preached on a bike trip to grip my heart and really just, just change me. It's just like, Lord, you know what? I, I, yes, I believe you. Yes, I'm, I want to live for you. But there were some things in my life that weren't lining up as well. And so that night, God in his grace just crushed my spirit, or crushed my heart, and, and just, I gave my life to say, Lord, I'm all yours. I just want to live for you and for your glory. I don't want to live for myself. And uh, praise God for the faithfulness of uh, our faithful youth pastors and those who proclaim God's truth. God used him so powerfully. But I was not the only one that was changed that night. I was not the only one that was kind of set on a course for eternity more so. Um, it wasn't just that. It wasn't just, it wasn't just me. There was a man that was there also this night. Uh, his name was, uh, I don't forget his first name. I'll call him Mr. Weber. His last name was Weber. And um, after the message that Pastor Bill preached, he went to the front. And I can see it in my mind's eye. He went to the front and, and he was crying as he walked up. And he got to the front and he talked to Pastor Bill, and he took the mic, and in tears, he said, I have been faking it for 40 years. I have been faking my faith for 40 years. So we were on a bike trip, and he was helping as one of the leaders just do different things and roving and driving and making sure the, the bike trip teams weren't getting lost. And, and I didn't know Mr. Weaver that much. His sons came to youth. 
But here was a man for 40 years that had said he had been fake, and he went to the church. We were only there for a couple years at the time, that I remember, and, and I remember he was there. But he faked his faith for 40 years, and God in his grace saved him that night. Isn't that awesome? God in his mercy opened his eyes and revealed that he was a sinner, and that it wasn't just doing things that saved him. It was the grace of God that saved him. Got me thinking this morning, how many people sit in the church or churches across the globe and are faking their faith? They're faking it. They say they have faith, but the evidence of their life says something different. The fruit that they are saying or the fruit that they claim they have is not there. Let me ask you this question this morning. Do you have saving faith? And is it reveal, revealed? Is it evidence? Is it verified by your life? Do you have saving faith? And is it revealed by the way you live? I want you to turn in your Bibles, loved ones, to James chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 26 this morning. And James, really in this section, is addressing a problem that's going on in the church. Remember, in the book of James, he's moving to different subject, different subject. James not, is not so much concerned about talking about all the implications of um, you know, different theological positions and thoughts that we need to understand. He's more concerned about the practical, like living out your faith, faith in action. And that's why our series is called uh, Faith in Action. And James is more concerned about their faith in action. And there's something going on in the church that James is addressing. This problem that's happening greatly concerns him. And as a pastor, he just can't sit by. He's got to say it. And God, by his spirit, prompted him to say that and have these words before us. Some in the church had made their way in. There were some people, some Jews that made their way into the church. And they were saying they followed the Lord. They were saying they were children of God. But their lives lacked verifying evidence of their claim. And they lacked the evidence of what they said they had. Their life was lacking the fruit of their so-called faith. And so James is going to address this, this this morning. He's going to talk about what a couple false faiths look like and what genuine faith looks like in Jesus Christ. And this is a message that is so needed today, loved ones. It is so needed today. It's needed in two ways because we know that Jesus tells us that there's going to be tares among the wheat in the church, right? There's going to be tares among the wheat. There's going to be wolves among the sheep. And so we need to really assess our hearts to see if what we're saying is actually true. If the faith we're claiming to have is actually verified by how we live, as a result of what Christ has done in our heart, we're actually living out this faith we proclaim. So it's really, uh, it's really important to assess our hearts, so in one way, that way, to see if we have the faith we say. And this is so important, this message this morning, because it's so easy, as believers in Jesus Christ, to be saved and sit back and wait for Jesus to return and be tempted to do nothing. Right? To be tempted to do nothing but just sit and wait. Man, God is going to come soon. Christ is going to return. He's going to bring me into glory. And so I just need to do nothing while I wait for his return. 
And so this message is so important for us today to help motivate us into action, into good works. So today's message is faith in action, um, faith on display. Is your faith on display? All right, so James, I said, is going to address two kind of faiths. And so what I want us to see is I want you to assess your heart as we approach this text to see if your faith is one of the two, which is not a good faith, or the third faith, which is a genuine faith. Because listen, loved ones, it is very possible for you to believe that you're saved and stand before the Lord and hear the words, depart from me. You worker of lawlessness, I do not know you. We know that's true because of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not cast demons out in your name? Did we not perform any miracles in your name? Do we not do all these good works in your name? And he said, oh, look at them and say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I did not know you. And so we want to assess our hearts to see if we have genuine faith. So here's the question. I have one main question that's going to kind of ask then um, three questions, all right? So our points today, if you're taking notes, are in the way of a question. Uh, first is this that, asks, that leads into these points, is what kind of faith do you have, okay? What kind of faith do you have, loved ones? What kind of faith do you have? First one is this. Do you have a dead faith? Do you have a dead faith? So that seems kind of morbid, Mark, this morning. Uh, well, reality is, is this is what James is going to talk about, all right? Do you have a dead faith? Let's see what James is addressing in the church. He says this, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, look at the text, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that, save, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? You see here, James is starting out by asking two rhetorical questions. He asks three, um, but in the Greek, these are in the negative tense. This is a negative question that he's asking, so the assumed answer is negative. It's not positive. It's a negative answer. So he asks this question, um, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says, I want you to box that word says there, okay, in your Bible. It's okay to mark your Bibles. Kids, you can mark your Bibles too. That's okay. It helps you remember some things. All right? Um, what good is it if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? The assumed answer that James is looking for is it's, uh, it's no good. <laughs> um, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's not a good faith. What good is it if someone says they have faith but doesn't have works? And then he asks this, same thing, can that faith save him? The assumed answer is no. No. No, it can't. That kind of faith is no good. That kind of faith, um, no. You see, there were some in the church that they were saying they were saved, but the evidence of their life lacked what they were saying. And this is what James is getting at here. They're saying that, hey, you know what? I believe, but they're not actually living their life in a way that testifies to their belief and testifies to their new life in Christ through salvation. That's not what's going on. There are those in the church that were talking, but not walking. You ever heard that expression? 
Loved ones, have you ever heard that? We're um, all talk and no walk, right? Have you heard that before? All talk and no walk. I remember when I was trying out for the Clippers in Saskatchewan, I went to Bible college, and uh, it was pretty good hockey, and like you get... You don't just step out on the ice unless you, like, you can handle yourself. Otherwise, you're going to get yourself killed out there. And there was, um, there was one that was trying out, too. He was a rookie, and he was a smaller guy, and he was talking all this where he played and everywhere else. And uh, I remember getting out on the ice, and I'm like, dude, this, this, this guy's going to get himself killed. He was not a great skater. He was, did not have the skill level that needed to be played at that level. And um, I, I find it interesting, when you play sports, if you're really not good enough, you know, we as sports players have a lot of pride, right? And so the best way to protect your pride is, I'm injured. <laughs> I'm injured, right? And it's easiest for hockey players to say they have a knee injury. Because if you have a knee injury, you can't skate. Come on, all you hockey players, you know that, right? Come on, you know that. Sports players, you need your knees to actually play well. And so he was injured very quickly, and he didn't make it. But everybody could see that all he did was talk, he couldn't actually play the game. It's interesting, the ones that usually are really good, they don't say a whole lot. They just play the game and they evidence how good they are, right? <laughs> there were some in the church, all they were doing was talking. Oh, I, followed, I follow God, I follow him, but all they did was talk and they lacked the walk. They lacked the walk. James here in the text, so he's calling this out, and he gives an example, um, really saying what their faith was. Uh, it's a dead faith. And those who talk the talk and don't back it with their walk, that, that's just a dead faith. Uh, James gives an example what this kind of walk, or no, no, um, no walking with the talk in verse 15. Look what he says here. He says this, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Mama, what kind of faith is that? That's really what he's saying. What's up with that? That's not a genuine faith. Really, the scenario is this. Like, they're going into the synagogue. That's their church, all right, at the time. And um, this guy walks in, and this is a hypothetical situation. James is making a point, okay? He walks in, and another guy comes into the church service, too, and he's dressed poorly. You know, it's getting a little bit colder outside, and, you know, he's got some rips in his clothes. You can see his skin, and, and he's just like, he's dressed poorly. And after the service is done, he's outside, and he's kind of asking some people if they have some extra money. Um, do you have some extra money so I could buy some food? And it's this picture of this guy walking up there and saying, hey, God bless you. Be warmed and filled with food. See you next Sunday. Gone. That's the picture there. Like, how sick is that? James is like, what kind of faith is that? You can't even take care of somebody's need? Dead faith. Dead faith. That's not the mark of a Christian is what James is saying here. Somebody has a need and you could go past. And, and what they should have done is, man, take off one of your five clothes. You got like five coats at home. Give them a coat. Give them some food. You probably have enough food in the fridge to last you a long time or in the ground, however they did it then. Bring them out for lunch. You know? And better yet, invite them into your home and help them get back on his feet. That's the kind of faith. That's not the kind of faith you're showing right now. Dead faith. Dead faith. Look at this. All talk. All talk. Two times in these verses here, um, James says, says, says. They say they have a walk, but they don't evidence by what they do. 
Uh, that's a picture of a dead faith. Uh, listen, loved ones, there's many that sit in the church that claim to have salvation in Jesus Christ, but they cannot verify it by their life. What kind of faith do you have? Is your faith a dead faith, or is it genuine? Is it genuine? Is it evidenced by what you do? Look how James summarizes that kind of faith. Look at verse 17, he says this. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what, loved ones? Dead. Dead. I'm not making that up. It's right in the text. <laughs> this is what James is saying. That kind of faith is dead. Faith without works is dead. Not saved. Not saved. Now, the argument could rise in your mind right now, and it probably is creeping its way up, and, and it should be. Is James saying that then there's more to faith? It's works plus faith equals salvation. Is that what James is saying? Because it seems like Paul is saying something different. It seems like there's a different message that's being preached right now. Um, the Bible says uh, in Romans, it's by grace through faith that we're saved and not by works that no one can boast. Isn't that true, Mark? What's James getting at here? Well, let me answer um, Yes, that is true. You cannot be saved by what you do. It's only through Jesus Christ that you are saved. It's by, through the grace of God, by faith, that we are saved. So what's James getting at here? Because they are not opposed to each other. I love how uh, one pastor um, explains this. His uh, name is John Miller from a church in the States. He says this, James and Paul are not against one another. They are back-to-back -back fighting against different enemies. James is talking about justification before men, the fruit of our salvation. Paul is talking about justification before God, the root of our salvation. I thought that was so helpful. Paul talks about our rootedness in Christ through the blood of Jesus Christ, not by works, but as a result of what Christ has done in our lives, we now produce good works because of the salvation we have received. You get that? James is talking about this word justification, he's using in a different context. He's using it to reveal and verify salvation to others of their walk, not before God. And before God, it's only through Jesus Christ you're saved, not by works. And so it's different. He's talking about the fruit of our lives as a result of the salvation we've been brought into through the blood of Jesus Christ. So don't be confused with this text. That's the same as verse 24. Look at verse 24 really quickly. Uh, he says this, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's why you never isolate a passage without its greater context. You have all sorts of false teaching going on out there. Uh, well, the Bible says this. Yeah, well, you miss the point. <laughs> and you can learn something false and teach something false. You have to get the context of what James is getting at here. It's the fruit of our lives as a result of God saving us through his precious son, Jesus Christ. That's what he's getting at. What kind of faith do you have? Dead faith? Is it dead? Second one is this. What kind of faith do you have? Second faith that um, James talks about that's a, a wrong faith is um, a doomed faith. A doomed faith. And do you have a doomed faith? All right? James addresses uh, these people that have a doomed faith. When I say this is, look at this. James now anticipating an argument. 
All right? Um, one thing that I try to do in my preaching, too, as we go through different trainings and as I've been taught through preaching is that you have to almost, as you preach a message, you need to anticipate some of the questions that may arise in the congregants' minds. So that's what I did in this last point of, hey, but doesn't the Bible say that it's by faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone? So you anticipate that question. Here, James is doing the same thing. Uh, he's he's Thinking in his mind, going, someone's going to ask something. Well, you have something and I have something. And so James addresses this. This argument comes up. So he says this. But someone will say, there's that word say again. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. In other words, someone will say, hey, listen, you know what? You have faith, and you believe God, that's great. And you have works, and you show your faith by what you do, and that's great for you too, but I have faith. This is the argument that he's making. I have faith, so I'm all good. I believe that God is God, and I believe that Jesus is Lord, so I'm all good. I have faith, I don't need to do anything. You have the works, I have the faith. And James anticipates that argument. He says this. Look at his response to this um, potential argument that could arise. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. See that there? Show me your faith apart from your works. Show me what kind of faith you have that's void of works. And we know that that's a dead faith, right? And he goes, I'll show you my faith by my works, by what I do, the fruit that is produced in my life because of the saving grace of God on me. I'll show you my works. And why is James saying this? There's a a massive point here. I want you to look at verse 19. This is central to this thought. It's so important. He says this. You believe that God is one. You do well. You do well. James here is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, where um, it says this, O Israel, hear O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a declaration of who God is. Um, God is one God. We follow the Lord. We believe in one God. We're monotheistic. We're not polytheistic. We don't believe in many gods and other gods. We have one God, and, uh, and we believe in the one triune God. And he's saying here that that person that's saying, hey, I have faith, you have works. He's saying, hey, that's great that you believe in God. That's great that you believe that, quoting this scripture. And they're like, hey, I believe God. He's like, that's great. But look what he says here to get to the point. He says, even the demons believe and shudder. That word shudder is also translated tremble. You say you have faith. Um, That's great. And you have no verifying works. Let me just tell you something. Even the demons believe what you are claiming and they tremble. Is that a saving faith? Are demons saved, loved ones? No. No, they're not. They're condemned. See, here's the point that James is making here. The faith that they're claiming is a head knowledge faith. It's a head knowledge faith. They believe that God is one. They believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, but they have never truly made a commitment to follow him. They do not follow Jesus Christ. Oh, they know about him. They know about his mercy and his grace, but they've never come under the authority of Christ and submitted their lives to him. You know, it's very possible to live your life knowing who God is and not being saved because you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. It's very possible. 
The point that James is making is that the demons know who, the demons know who Jesus is. And we see this many times in, in the New Testament, right? You look at some of the gospel accounts. Uh, math, in Matthew's account, in chapter 8, verse 29, when Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, two demon-possessed men went running at him, right? And you know what they did? They didn't run at him to attack him. They attacked everybody else that went in that area. Man, you, couldn't, you had to stay away from that area. But Jesus walks in, and these guys run up, and the demons cried out, it says, and he says this, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time, before the appointed time? Man, the demons ran right to Jesus and like, we know who you are. You're the son of God. The demons knew who Jesus was. Mark records in Matthew chapter 1 verse 34 that Jesus healed many who were sick and with various diseases and he cast out demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. They knew him. And this is so powerful. Mark, 11, Mark 3, 11 says this. And whenever the unclean spirits saw Jesus, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. The demons believe that Jesus is Lord, but they do not follow him. They've rejected him. And there are many that can say, hey, yeah, I, I know the Lord. I follow the Lord. And the point that James is making is is. It's not just you claiming faith in the Lord. Your faith is backed by evidence. J.I. Packer says this, what saves is faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. What saves is faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. There are many people that have a head knowledge of Jesus Christ but they have never surrendered their life to Christ. They have never turned from their sins. They've never repented of their sins, and they are not following Jesus Christ as their Lord, but they know a lot about him. That's called a doomed faith or a demonic faith. That's what the demons believe. And what awaits them is destruction, not hope, but condemnation. What kind of faith do you have James wants to be so clear here about our faith needs to be in action. Our faith needs to be on display. What God has done in our lives needs to be on display for others to see the light of Christ and the goodness of God. What kind of faith do you have? Do you have a doomed faith? A doomed faith. Two faiths that we have to stay away from. Two faiths that are not genuine. But then he talks about a genuine faith. Not a doomed faith, not a dead faith, but a genuine faith. Look what James says now. So he, he addresses this problem in the church about those that have come in saying all sorts of things. He addresses this issue and he says this in verse 20 now through verse um, 26. He talks about a genuine faith and he uses two examples of genuine faith in the way of Abraham and in the way of Rahab. Abraham and Rahab. Abraham, who was the, uh, the man who received the promise, and Rahab, who was a Gentile prostitute who had believed who God was and followed. And so look at what genuine faith looks like. James is saying that faith without evidencing works in your life is a dead faith, it's a doomed faith, but this is a real faith. He says this, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Do you want to be shown? I'll show you. 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Uh, what is he not justified? Was he not? Now understand the context in which he's using this word. Not made right before God, but verified what actually happened in his heart was actually true. His claim of faith was actually lived out. So he says he was justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed, that's perfected, by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So let's see what's going on here. Um, What happened here is James is saying that Abraham's faith is real, and it was real because it was verified by Abraham's obedience to the Lord. It was verified by his good work of obedience. See, back in chapter, um, or in Genesis chapter 22, if you don't know the story of Abraham, but um, God told Abraham to test him to bring his son, the son of promise, Isaac, um, and go and sacrifice him. You read that story before? Have you read that story, kids? Have you kids read that story before? Adults, you've read it? I'll get something out of you. And so he brought, uh, he brought Isaac and... Um, He laid him on the altar, and Abraham lifted up his hand and was ready to slay his son, and God stopped him. It was never God's intention to have Abraham slay Isaac, but he tested him to see if what he actually said, if his faith was genuine, that he loved the Lord more and feared God more than he loved his son. Abraham believed, uh, Abraham is in the hall of faith in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and Hebrews chapter 11 verse 19 says that Abraham believed that God could even raise him from the dead if he slayed him. The point is, is that Abraham followed up in his faith and put that into action through obedience in the work that God had called him to do. So he went to slay his son, but God stopped him. And when it says here in the, in, the, in, in the text here, so Abraham was verified, was, was showing that he actually had a changed heart. And then if you see in verse 22, it says, you see that faith was active along his works, and the faith um, was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and was counted as righteousness. God said that about him in Genesis chapter 15. So in Genesis chapter 15, and actually starting in Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham to go to a foreign land and was going to make a large nation out of him, right? And so Abraham believed, he went, and then the covenant was given to Abraham, and it says that Abraham believed God, and God counted to him as righteousness in Genesis 15 verse 6. So you see a, here's a faith, here's a belief in Abraham's heart, and it's verified through his life, the different steps, and verified through that scene of Abraham going to slay his son that he was going to be obedient to the Lord, that his faith was genuine. Do you get that, church? you follow that? you following me with that? It was a genuine faith. He's being obedient to the Lord. He was producing the good works of obedience. That's what genuine faith looks like. Not just talking, not just saying you believe God, but actually following him and actually doing his will. Doing the will of the Father through all the works that he's called us to do. Rahab is another example I, I love that there's these two contrasts. Here's like a Jew and here's a Gentile, like consider the low of low. She was a prostitute, like full through and through, right in the text that says that. Not just kind of like, like that's what she did for money. 
And it says here, was, and the same was, uh, in the same way also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. In Judges chapter 2, we see this whole picture of Rahab where um, they heard all that had gone on. Now, if you've read in Exodus that the Lord delivered the nation of Israel out of the hand of slavery from the Egyptians, right? And you read the book of Exodus and you can see what God did and how he worked so powerfully and mightily in, their, in, in delivering them. But all the nations around her, like that doesn't go unheard. You know, like, like God does some pretty big things, like that, that word travels, and that word travels, and the whole point was God was revealing himself to the world at that time. And it says here in Judges, uh, Rahab's response, when two spies showed up to spy out the land, because the Lord said he's going to deliver the land into their hands, and so two spies show up, and they go to Rahab's place, they go in inconspicuously, because people are just like, oh, that's just a prostitute's house. So they, they go in there to hide out. And there's a conversation that happens with Rahab, and this is Rahab's response about all that had happened and about the nation of Israel getting closer to their region to move into the promised land and how everyone was scared. It says in verse 11 of Judges chapter 2, and as soon as we heard it, that's the story of what God had done, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Um, Yahweh is God. Yahweh is the one to be feared and followed and worshipped. That's what Rahab was saying. But the point here is not just that she said that. She hid the spies, God's children, God's covenant people. She hid them and sent them on another way when they went to try to get them. So she placed her faith in action by hiding God's children and letting them out through the window and then following them. And they were brought into the nation of Israel. By faith, by faith, she put her faith in action. I just didn't believe in God. Oh, here's the spies. I'll follow Yahweh myself. She put her faith in action. That's the point that James is making. A genuine faith is a faith um, that is in action, a faith that's on display Genuine faith that is taken root in someone produces good work or good fruit is how we have come to know that word more, more familiar to us. Good works are what God has prepared beforehand for every one of his children. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Let me ask you, what kind of faith do you have? Do you have a dead faith? Do you have a doomed faith? Or do you have a genuine faith? Does your faith accompany good works, not for salvation, but because of salvation? Because you have been saved, do you follow the Lord? Do you honor the Lord? Do you submit yourself to his will? Are you following the will of God? What's the will of God? The will of God is the word of God laid out for us. Do you follow the Lord and you follow his will? Are you obedient to his word? Are you serving Christ? Are you abiding in Christ? Are you using your gifts and your abilities to serve the church, to serve your neighbors, to serve your family? Are you being obedient to his word? Are you honest in your living? Are you kind? Are you compassionate? Are you gracious to those right now who might get really irritated with you and fire off at you because all that's going on, do you respond with love and mercy? Those are all good works, loved ones. Do you shine the light of Christ? Do you follow him? Are you trusting God in this time? Are you teaching others to trust God? Are you passing your faith on to your children? 
Are you instructing your children in the Lord? Are you encouraging them? Are you walking with them? These are all good works, loved ones. Are you putting the flesh to death? Are you complaining? Are you sitting back right now and saying, I'm just not doing anything? Listen, loved ones, a genuine faith is a faith that produces good works. Now, how does it, why, 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 why? Why does that produce good works in us? Why do we want to be, what's our motivation for doing these good works? What's our true motivation? As I close, look at chapter 1, verse 18. What motivates us to good works? Because listen, this is not a message of, hey, pull your bootstraps up. Dr. Uh, Brian Chaplin, our preaching course this last week, said, uh, we don't ever want to preach solo bootstrapsa. No, that means like, hey, uh, works alone. Just dig a little deeper. Dig a little deeper and God will help you. Dig a little deeper. That's not the message. We have to have the right motivation of why we do the good works. James talks about this in verse 18. He says this. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. You know what James is saying there? By God's will, he brought you into his family through the grace, through his grace and the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And what motivates our service is our love for the Lord and the grace of God. The, lo- the love that Christ has for us, the Father has for us through his son, and the grace that he has given us and our love for him. That's what motivates a life of service unto God. It's not dig a little deeper, it's not do a little bit more, but it's understanding what Christ has done for us. That motivates our service. That motivates the works we do. Because we love the Lord. We love him and we want to do his will and, and follow him and follow in the footsteps of our Savior. That's what motivates us. That's what James is saying. The works that are produced in a believer in Jesus Christ are motivated by the love of God. Do you love the Lord? Is it evident by what you do? What faith do you have? Is it a dead faith? Is it a doomed faith? Is it a genuine faith? Maybe you find yourselves when you actually, right now, you're, you're thinking... Like, if I'm honest with myself, I'm, I'm like dead faith, and I'm like doomed faith. You don't have to be there. You don't have to stay there. Today's the day of salvation for you then. Because Jesus Christ has come to this world, and he died on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross, and it's not just a head knowledge. It's believing that he died, but it's giving your life to him and following him. Saying, Lord, not my will, but your will. I surrender all to you. I give you everything. Be Lord of my life. You confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. Faith and obedient action through repentance and belief and a will submitted to him. Do you follow the Lord? Surrender your life to Christ right now. He died for you. He died so that you don't have to have a dead faith or a doomed faith. He died so you don't just have to have a head knowledge of him that you can actually walk in relationship with the Father through him. Run to Jesus Christ. Confess your sin to him. Turn from your sin. Ask him to forgive you. He will save you. That's the grace of God. I don't stand here saved because of my good works. I stand here wretched, saved because of God's mercy and grace. And those that are saved here today are saved because of the mercy of God. Not because of works. Jesus Christ calls you even now.
Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Walk into a genuine faith. The grace of God is so rich and so deep. He loves you. He loves you. And he'll bring you into his family forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the grace that we have been given through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, you have made a way for us to be saved through your Son. And Lord, this message is a message that is so needed. It's a message that is needed because we can easily flip back. Some of the Jews, Lord, you know that we're just, they just moved into a, I don't need to do anything. But Lord, we want our faith to be on display for the world to see that Jesus Christ, you are Lord, you are awesome, you are glorious. And so Father, there's some here this morning that do not know you and realize that they have had a dead faith or a doomed faith. Lord, would you just remove the veil and open their eyes and bring them into your glorious light and save them, Father. Let them see that you love them, that you died for them, that you will take their place the sins, you took their place on the cross. May we realize, Lord, how good you are. May the world realize that, Father, and come to you. Lord, help us. Help us to put our faith on display. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the enabling power of your spirit who moves us and walks with us. And Lord, may our motivation always be right and fixed on you because it's your love and your grace that motivates us, Father, and our love for you. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. This has been a sermon from Living Hope Bible Church. For more information about our church, please head to livinghopebiblechurch.ca.